I think it's a feminist responsibility to talk about the surface, not only about beauty as surface, but um, also the biological surface, the everyday body that we carry with us. I think there is no separation between the intellectual and the superficial. This is Instant Coffee, a new podcast brought to you by the LSE Middle East Centre and produced by me, Nadine Almanaspi, and me, Ribal Sleiman Haider. On this episode, Maral Shamshiri Fard talks to Mushtari Hilal about writing Afghanistan into the Middle East. Maral is a PhD candidate at LSE working on Middle Eastern history. Mushtari is a visual artist and researcher working from Hamburg and Berlin. She is also co-founder of the international research collective AVA, Afghan Visual Arts and History. Over to you, Maral. Hi, Mushtari. It's so exciting to be in conversation with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So I guess let's just get started then. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your work and specifically how Middle Eastern studies informs your art and your research? Um, yeah, so I'm um, a self-taught artist. So basically I started studying something completely different. It's similar to Middle Eastern studies, but in Germany it's called Islamwissenschaften, which you could describe as Islamic science, but it's secular. And I mean, when you look at the um, readings and everything, it's basically Middle Eastern studies. And I studied that in my BA and now in my MA, but I never finished my MA because I got more involved in the arts later. And my first um, intention was to learn more about um, my background and my religion and everything. And I was born in Afghanistan, so I just assumed I was going to learn about that. But the more I got involved in Middle Eastern studies, the more I understood how complicated and constructed and fictional these categories are and how basically um, I basically I learned to question everything. And I think this is the basic and most crucial influence of Middle Eastern studies on my intellectual process and then later my creative process. Yeah, that's really interesting to see how your individual path and your experience has brought you to where you are. I kind of want to push a bit on what you mean by this construct of the Middle East. Um, And, you know, from my perspective, sometimes in Middle Eastern studies, we focus more on the Arab world And it feels like some voices are more included while others are excluded. So I'm wondering, how do you see Afghanistan fit into this construct um, of of the Middle East? Was it and and is it there for you? I felt that Afghanistan was not um, considered as an area of interest in either Middle Eastern studies, South Asian studies, Central Asian studies. I mean, there were like these... um, area studies but whenever it came to Afghanistan it was not focused and the only focus that um, Afghanistan was given is the security studies or the conflict studies and I think 
of course that's connected to the fundings where is funding coming from and why is um, the acad uh, academia or in general um, the international community more interested in this approach to studying Afghanistan so when we look at Afghanistan from this security perspective it's mostly post 9-11 um, or maybe concerned about the Soviet Union so there's always a bigger theme or a bigger framework when it comes to Afghanistan and um, I personally um, thought that if I studied Middle Eastern studies and again in Germany it was not called Middle Eastern studies but Islamwissenschaft um, this field of studies would be concerned or interested in um, Islamic or Muslim intellectual history in general, society or political history. But it was mainly Egypt, to be honest. And if not Egypt, it was Iran. And that's because the most um, crucial or um, popular academic texts and research were based or um, working with case studies from these countries so in the end i felt like it was pretending to be about muslim societies but not really about all muslims and all islamic history and then later i moved um, to berlin where they tried to expand their focus and we did some things about um, Muslims in Indonesia and in India for example and also one of my professors um, Shirin Amir Muazami who's um, from the sociology um, originally she um, opened up this um, focus on Muslims in Europe so she tried to shift the focus from um, like to an area um, towards um, more transnational um, community or culture or um, topic um, but again I never felt that Afghanistan was um, covered as I wished. Mm, yeah I mean I guess it's 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 interesting to see how those differences um, have have emerged uh, I guess and how the field has developed in Germany as opposed to here in the UK um, I guess there is a particular legacy of German Orientalism there. Uh, we, we do have both Islamic studies and Middle East studies here in the UK, but I, I do really hear what you say on Afghanistan fitting a certain lens of study. Um, why security or conflict and not culture and history, for example. On this question then, I guess, you know, on the presence of Afghanistan, I feel like it's something we really see in your work. I find that one of the really beautiful and really tender aspects of your portraits is this recurring image of the family, the mother, the grandmother. Uh, specifically, I'm, I'm thinking about the portrait of the mother sitting on a rug with a sewing machine in front of her working away. I wonder then to what extent are you creating an archive of Afghanistan? Um, what does your visualization of this family archive mean? And I guess, what what story are you te trying to tell through it? Um, I think for me personally, it was really uh, important to realize that my family or my experience was not representing 
anything but my family and my experience because when I grew up I often was confronted with this one sentence like um, you can't do this because we're Avons or this is our culture this is Avon culture or you know like this is Muslim culture so mm -hmm. I grew up not only with a generalization of a specific Avon Muslim experience from um, an outside like from the news or the mainstream majority culture but also from within my household like my own family my parents were um, instrumentalizing these terms to kind of um, censor um, our uh, possibilities our character whatever and I always thought that that was actually something very Avron right when I went back to Afghanistan because I have a lot of family there still um, and my first experience was much earlier but the first like adult experience was when I graduated from school and I was interested in doing some research in Afghanistan or meet artists and at that time I wanted to become a journalist so I wanted to write a piece about the Afghan art scene and that was 2012 and I went to Kabul and I met so many different people with different opinions with different ideas of themselves of the country and I learned that my experience was not at all representative of this whole culture um, country or its people and so my family archive, but also the general approach uh, in my work, the radical subjective approach is inspired by that, inspired by that, by that feeling that in the end, I as an artist, but also as an intellectual or a person speaking in the public, can't, cannot speak from any other position than from my own position. And seeing that not as, some, as something like I, I don't think that's a failure I don't think that I'm biased by that but actually I think it's a really interesting position to speak from because whenever I speak from my position I do challenge the general or the objective um, idea of something so I think the family archive but also the personal archive the subjective can be a really interesting resource to um, critically review and um, contrast reality to your experience and whenever you say something that has not been said or in my case visualize something that has not been visualized you can um, uh, you can show the blind spots of society or of national narratives or of uh, mainstream ideas you can also critically um, show where maybe society was interested in making you invisible or was not interested in writing down or displaying your um, reality and of course when it comes to Afghanistan um, my family was not part of the minority uh, minorities but in Germany as a refugee kid and also um, as a non um, white person I did experience how it how it is to be a marginalized and discriminated um, person and biography so um, this is the whole context I guess 
Mm, yeah, I really love this subjective position that you talk about. Uh, it's really powerful. Um, and especially this aspect of visibility, you situated in Europe and visualizing what you see when you're in Afghanistan. Uh, I find in, in your work, some things really stand out um, and you are challenging things on various levels. Uh, two of the sort of key motifs that I really like in your work are the big or prominent nose, uh, very Middle Eastern, um, and the dark black hair on the body, um, especially on the bodies of, of women uh, and girls. I remember the first time I came across your work a few years ago, I was just so struck by how political that statement was. So um, to what extent do you see your work as challenging existing norms, but also imagining um, new futures? I think the theme of the hair or body hair, facial hair in general, is something that was has been discussed in European or Western culture as well. But what I didn't like about it was um, it was always a feminist issue or a feminist statement. For example, having armpit hair was a feminist statement. And I personally, I realized that I didn't want to say anything with my body hair. It was like a gen it was a natural state. It was um, just not caring about shaving my arms or um, my belly or my moustache you know I'm not making it into a statement but talking about how the everyday surface of our bodies is being not only politicized but constantly uh, censored and made into a topic um, like this element was interesting to me but also the element of um, black body hair I think there is a difference between dark body hair and blonde body hair it is not just about hair but it's about hair being visible right and um, I did some research um, I came across some articles discussing how body hair and female body hair especially is somehow connected to the grade of um, the human evolution like they would discuss whether uh, women are more crazy insane or close to a primitive state of humankind or even to an animal um, when they are more hairy this is basically a colonial state of research and it's somehow made into something that we just feel like when we see body hair we immediately have specific feelings and we just think it's a natural feeling but in the end it's deeply connected to um, studies made and knowledge produced about um, the ways bodies look and how they are yeah it's interesting that you saw the conversation um, that was happening about body hair but brought your own experience to that conversation um, I wonder then, was there a similar thing that you saw with appearance and body image around the nose? Um, as I live in Germany and I also grew up with German imagery and also historical um, imagery, there is a history of 
anti-Semitism, right, in Europe and Germany especially. And if you look at the whole um, style or depiction of people with big noses, I, I see a direct link to this specific European history where people with strong features, a big nose, um, a long face are um, portrayed as um, corrupt, greedy, evil in general, criminal sometimes. And um, this is a yeah, racist stereotype that we inherit from this time, a European heritage, I think, that influenced um, global imagery. Um, I, I like to give Disney, for example, um, as a source um, to study when we talk about this um, connection of um, featureism um, especially futurism concerned with big noses, long noses, and these racist stereotypes. Like all evil characters in Disney have either dark hair or they have long faces and long nose. And I think there is no coincidence in that. And in the end, we also assume that faces that are more round or um, have bigger eyes, smaller noses, um, are brighter in general, are more reliable, trustworthy, uh, lovable. And um, I personally experience that people, if they don't know me and they just look at my face, they think I'm not approachable or arrogant. And I think all these things, they have an historical dimension, but I, they also have everyday, day-to-day -day dimension that we sometimes don't talk enough about. And I think it's also a feminist responsibility to talk about the surface, not only about beauty as surface, but um, also the biological surface, the everyday body that we carry with us and how our surface in the end is responsible, how we are, if we are judged or how people respond to us. I think there is no separation between the intellectual and the superficial. I think in the end, the superficial is so much intellectualized that um, we have to study and discuss that, definitely. I mean, I'm interested to know, was there a different reaction to your work when you were in different places? I know you've exhibited your work in Europe and the US um, and also in Kabul, Tehran, Beirut. So you know, was there a different response in how the audience in the Middle East perceived your work? Um, actually, I have a very vivid um, memory about my exhibition in Iran and Tehran. I was part of a group exhibition curated by an Iranian um, artist, and she did this show about Avron contemporary art from around the world. So there were artists from the US, like Avron American artists. There were many Avron artists from, from Afghanistan, actually, and then including myself, um, Avron German. Um, I was the only female Avron artist that traveled to the exhibition. And I was listening to some of the audiences, um, some of the audience speaking about the work they were seeing. And I was actually... Um, surprised and disappointed how there was even in Iran um, orientalizing or they had this had these assumptions and expectations uh, when they came to the exhibition for example I heard one um, woman saying 
oh, how sad that they just came with their normal clothes and didn't wear their traditional um, Avron dresses or um, outfits. There was an exoticizing view or gaze and sometimes they would say things like, oh, wow, I can... I can identify myself um, with your work or I can see myself in your work but be like a little bit surprised about it and for me that was um, a really interesting experience because when I went uh, to Iran and I traveled there I felt that was somehow like traveling through Afghanistan because in Afghanistan I can't go everywhere so I couldn't visit villages with um, like a lot of mountains and nature and I was in Apyone in Iran and I, I thought like oh this would be a little bit like the village where my father is from and then this older guy came and asked me where I'm from and I said yeah I'm Afron and then he spit on the ground for me it was like this is so close to home, uh, to home and for him it was like you're a foreigner so this was a really special experience for me to again realize that a general view on blackhead bodies, a general view on Persian or Farsi um, mm -hmm. culture is something really naive. And in the yeah. end, there are so many intersections um, that we can learn about. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I can only, as an Iranian woman, apologize for that kind of experience. Uh, uh, identifying these intersections is really important. Um, but there is racism among Iranians, whether that's against Afghans, whether that's against Afro-Iranians, black people, this racism exists. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing that you're able to reflect in such a refreshing way, but it, it's really in no way acceptable. Um, I would add, um, I really wish we had more time to talk about this, but the extent to which we've internalized white beauty standards as well. Um, and the kind of class dimension to that too, of, of who kind of gets those jobs, who doesn't, um, in this kind of broader context, I think is really relevant to conversation. Um, but, but we have to wrap up. Um, so I have a final question. You are a co-founder of the Arva Research Collective, the Afghan Visual Arts and History um, Collective. Can you tell us a little bit about the collective and, and what it aims to do? Um, so basically, AVO, Afghan Visual Arts and History, is a research collective um, of artists, art historians, curators and art world professionals. And we aim to consolidate a visual history of Afghanistan that is inclusive of its minorities, but also its diaspora, since most of us are part of the diaspora. And um, we came together after recognizing a lack of obtainable information and also long-term initiatives and historical but also contemporary um, research and um, initiatives regarding practices originating or related to Afghanistan. So we realized that in the archives but also in the art industry um, there is a lack of everything that is not either patronizing, nationalist or yeah, exclusive of um, discriminated groups. And there's always this dominant voice and also an orientalizing 
approach to Avron art production that we like to be more critical about it and get rid uh, get rid of it. So the long term um, approach is that um, we want to create spaces where we meet and discuss without this gaze from the outside but for now um, also as COVID just started we started this um, series of artist talks on our Instagram but we also research for um, publication where we want to write critical reviews and articles and um, yeah this is basically what we're doing just being a space where we're not only connecting artists from all all around the world, but also contextualize um, art production um, related to Afghanistan and Afghan people. Wow, that's such an amazing project. Uh, good luck with that. Um, I think we have to end here. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. It was so lovely to talk to you. Thank you too. I really enjoyed it. I wish it was longer. <laughs> Thank you, Morala Mushtari, for taking the time to speak to us today. And thank you for listening to Instant Coffee, your quick fix of everything Middle East. Join us every Friday for a new episode of Instant Coffee, where we interview artists, activists, writers, journalists, and more from the region. To learn more about Mushtari's work, follow the links in the podcast description. Don't forget to find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, 